had a little bit of overtime before the game ended. I don't know what was going on there. Man, that's my worship pastor, right? We just throw a little extra in there. That was unrehearsed, unprepared. Just love it. Oh, give him more. Um, I guess he just wants me not to preach as long. Um, we've been going through a series on Joseph uh, called Dream On. And I hope that uh, you have found that inspirational. I hope that you have not lost your desire to dream. And last week we left off our story where uh, Judah um, finally took on the role of selfless. And that selflessness is what unlocked Joseph's emotions. And Joseph got so emotional, it says that he was weeping so loud that the people in the other room could hear him. And what was it that caused that? We said that it was because Judah was the one that led the team, that led the brothers to betray him. And they, he was the one that, that famously said, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And so for Judah to experience true repentance and do a 180, that finally got Joseph. And today we're going to be talking about a perspective that allows us to be freed from the emotional prisons that some of us find ourselves in with regards to wounds that have occurred to us from past experiences, past pain, past relationships, past sin, whatever it may be. And I hope that that will help you um, as we go through today's sermon. Before we do, though, I'm going to set it up fresh off the presses. Um, I don't know if y'all saw my fit, but uh, we got a little Colorado Buffalo uh, theme going here. Um, if you're a late night person, then you, you saw the magic uh, that was the Colorado Buffaloes coming back and winning um, at, in double overtime, mind you, and they had to drive it 98 yards. Anyway, I'm going to get into this for just a moment. You say, Tim, are you going to preach a sermon about football? And I would say, why wouldn't you preach a sermon about football? Um, in the third quarter, um, their star receiver had gone down, and it was a cheap shot, uh, dirty. Should, should, should have just got thrown out of the game. I don't even know what we're doing here if that's allowed. And so um, another player had to step up, and his name was Horn, and um, he missed a pass, and there was an interaction caught on camera uh, when he came off the field. And so I want us to watch this real quick. And so this is Coach Prime. He coaches him up there. And then after he coached him up, they, they saw his lips and they could read the last thing that he said. So he came over and he, he looked him directly in the eye, and I'm sure on some little coaching level, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to need you here. We're going to need you. I believe in you, whatever. But the last thing he said, first of all, how many times in a football game have you seen a hug that looks, looks like that? That just looks a little bit different, right? Just looks a little bit different. And then he said, I love you. That was the last thing he said to that kid, I love you. Now, imagine for just a moment that you are Deion Sanders, okay? Just, 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 try to, just try to wrap your mind around this. You are a Hall of Fame football player. You're the only human walking around in the history of billions of humans that hit a home run and scored a touchdown the same week. All right? That's the only one. You're a one of one. 
that was able to do that, okay? And now you're trying to coach mere mortals. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine like when you miss a play, you're walking over and you're looking at Deion Sanders that's getting ready to talk to you. I would imagine it'd be like Superman coaching me on how to fly. You know, he's like, you just gotta, you just gotta get going and then you, you do it. And like, I just imagine that I would be frustrated if I'm Dion trying to coach these people who are clearly never going to be as good as he was. And so instead, instead, if you followed any of this storyline, which I'm enthralled by, by the way, I can't get enough of it, um, Dion has a different approach. And I will tell you that he does not care as much about winning as he does about the players. And all these other schools now um, have money to give players, and so they are paying players. And so whenever he was going up to Colorado, they didn't have any money. And they said, well, how are you, how are you getting all these players? Because they had like some 80, 80 players, 92 players, whatever, new players. That's like essentially the whole team turned over when he got there. They're like, well, how are you getting them to come? He's like, well, I just simply tell their parents that if you send me a boy... I'm going to send back a man. And I'm like, yes, yes, we need more of that in today's society. Some of you, I'd like to take your kids, like just send me your kids for a weekend. I'll send you back a man. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. You say, I just can't get them to listen. I promise you I can. I promise you I can. I promise you. Anyway, he's sitting here in this moment and, and he is coaching this kid, but he has the presence to be almost a father figure. And he says, I love you. Now, this is the third quarter. Now, it would almost be like they created a sermon illustration at 1.45 a.m. If the Colorado Buffaloes were down by eight points with less than two minutes to go, and the guy punts it to the two-yard line, and they have one timeout, and they have to go 98 yards. I mean, surely this kid isn't going to be the kid. Let's just watch it. Those last two really sting if you're Colorado. Sanders. Downfield. Got him in. Horn. Atonement. Touchdown. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A perspective that is bigger than the game. What if we just talked about a perspective that is bigger than the game? I just wish everyone in here had a perspective that was bigger than the game. I just wonder how many people walk around and you have the opportunity to crush people because you're smarter because you're in a position of authority. Whatever it is, you did it right, they did it wrong. And how many of you take the time to coach someone, but then to give them a hug and tell them that you love them? I wonder if we led with love, would we have a greater impact in our faith if we understood that it's bigger. Our perspective must be bigger than just the moment. I wonder how many marriages would be better off if we understood that we need a perspective bigger than the moment. I wonder if parenting, I wonder if our parenting would be better if we understood that we need a perspective 
that is bigger than the moment. And I surely know this that churches would be better and would be bigger and there would be more life change if everyone in here would understand that we need a perspective that is bigger than the game. And so that is the intro. I hope you are ready for the entree. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is the reveal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is 22 years in the making. 22 years. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Isn't it amazing that after 22 years, his first thought was about his dad? Do you remember Do you remember when this all started? His dad gave him this coat. His dad lavished upon him a gift and wanted him to know that he loved him and that he had favor upon him. And 22 years removed, he's gone through absolute hell. And yet the first question that's on his mind is, how is my dad? Now this isn't even a sermon, but I I just thought, how many fathers are making such an indelible mark that their children remember them and want to know how they are doing. Are we leaving that legacy with how we are fathering our children? Are we pouring into them in such a way that they understand that there's more going on here? Man, Joseph's dad loved him, and his son knew that he was loved. If we could just get fathers to accomplish that, we'd be winning in today's culture. So many fathers are sitting on the sidelines, not fulfilling their godly obligation to lead their house with love. And man, I hope today that you as a father, you would be challenged. Are you leading your kid with love? Do they know? Do they know? That after you're removed, after you're gone, after they're gone, they're going to sit back and think, my father left a mark on me. My father left a legacy in me. He showed me how to do it God's way. His first question was, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I would, I would think so, right? I mean, let's just imagine you sold a guy and then told your family that he was dead and then he went through prison and he got falsely accused of rape and convicted and had that on his record. Let's just imagine he was living in a foreign culture where he didn't know a soul and uh, he came from affluence and then he went and, you know, lost everything. Just imagine, like, you could, you could have some anger that was possibly built up inside and it says they were terrified at his presence now i'm going to do something i don't usually do and we're going to move out of chronological order because i'm going to preach the middle um, after the beginning but i'm going to skip ahead some verses to the reconciliation verses and you'll see why in just a moment it says after they had a dialogue verse 14 then he threw his arms around his brother benjamin now benjamin you guys remember what was special about benjamin what was it blood blood. That's the only brother he had that had the same mom and dad. And you know, if you think 
families today are mixed up, you just go read the story of Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and some other lady. I don't even remember her name. But, dude, I, I never understood multiple wives, but I think one is enough for all of us. And the men said, amen, yes, yes, yes. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. Um, no, I'm saying that one is enough. You don't need more. You're the best. This is my wife. Um, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And it says, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. Now, I don't know if you can imagine 22 years removed, there's no texting, there's no internet, there's no nothing. Like you thought it was over and now the reunion begins. And then it says, verse 15, this is the stuff that's just like, the stuff that movies are made of. He says, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them after his brothers Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I wanted you to see these two verses, and I want you to contrast it with the first reveal of Joseph being their brother. They were terrified, okay? So I want us to see this point, authority without relationship versus authority with relationship. Authority without relationship equals fear. Authority with relationship equals reconciliation. You need to understand why is it that some people come into the presence of God and they're uncomfortable, right? Why are you uncomfortable? Imagine one day if you passed away unprepared and you never accepted Christ, you chose to reject Christ, and you stood before God. Can you imagine the feeling that would come over you? It wouldn't be that you were excited. You wouldn't be excited to see God if you were not right with him, if you had never accepted him, if you had rejected his son and the, the cross and the message of hope and, and all the forgiveness of sin. Like if you stood before God, a holy God, and you were uncovered by grace, man, fear, fear would fill your soul because there's authority in God. And whenever we are standing before authority without relationship, the natural response is fear. Consider if you've ever had a boss that led by title and authority without any type of relationship. Every time you get the call, every time you get the text and it's like, hey, come by and see me, you're not ever be like, yeah, can't wait to get in there and have that meeting. It's dread, right? It is absolute dread because this person is always powering down on the people because they lead with authority without relationship. Man, think about being in a marriage where someone leads constantly out of their title in the marriage, like, I'm the wife, you will listen. I'm the husband, you will listen. And they dominate their spouse but they're not developing and investing in the relationship. Can't you see how that would start to create a foreboding atmosphere? Whenever you're thinking about parenting, imagine somebody that had ultimate discipline without any love. Would you think that that person would feel like they are being guided and accepted and nurtured, that, that you had my best in mind? I don't think that it's ever love without discipline. I think it is both. I think it takes love and discipline to lead children in the way that they should go. And so here we see such a contrast that whenever Joseph 
makes the first move, you'll see. It says that he went and he hugged his brothers, right? He kissed all of them. Now think about that for just a moment, that love always in the Bible, love always goes first. You know, Jesus did not love you after you loved him. He loved you before you ever loved him. The Bible says that herein do we know the love of God, that Christ died the godly for the ungodly. While we were still yet sinners, in our worst state, Christ died for us. That is incredible love. Imagine a couple that is, is going through difficulties. They're, they're fighting. They're frustrated. They've gone to their neutral corners. Imagine a friendship that is strained. And now they're not talking. They're not texting anymore. And both parties in said relationship have decided that their strategy is to wait for the other person to make the first move. Can you, can you imagine how many marriages, friendships, business relationships have gone bad simply because people sat there and were like, well, you know what, I'm just going to see, I'm going to wait, and if, if she really wants this to work out, then she'll, she'll needs to reach out, she needs to, she, he needs to do, and, it, and like, you are putting the onus on the other person all the time. Even in your spiritual relationship, you're trying to say, like, uh, at the church, like, well, you know, no one ever invite. everyone is invited all the time, all right? There are no secret handshakes there are no special clubs, okay? Everyone is invited. But what if you sat back and you waited? What if you just sat back there way in the corner and you were like, no one even came up to me and said hi. We didn't even see you, man. You're like hiding. Like, what? if you come down here, like, I'll shake you. I'll be right here. Every single Sunday, I'll be right here after the service. I would be glad to shake your hand. I'll be glad to meet you. But so many times, we're missing out on reconciliation, because we're waiting on someone else to go first. What if love went first? Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 13 that love bears no record of wrongs? That it doesn't scoreboard? How oftentimes are we sitting in our neutral corners thinking about all the things that they said and all the things that they did? And I'm just going to sit down in my bitterness I'm going to sit down in my past hurt. I'm going to sit down in my anger. Imagine how much suffering is as a result of your not being proactive in love. If Jesus first loved us and you say you love Jesus, call yourself a Christian, which means to follow Christ, then shouldn't you have to love first? In every dispute? Shouldn't you be ready to forgive? Shouldn't you be quick to extend mercy instead of picking up the stone to cast it at the guilty? You see, at some point you have to understand authority with relationship always equals reconciliation. Authority without relationship always equals fear. When you walk into church, Trust me, 
if you were standing on this stage preaching to you, I can tell who is in a right relationship with God and who is not in a right relationship with God. Because when I'm up here preaching and I say, we need to do it God's way, all the God people are like, yeah, yeah. And all the non-God followers that are just sitting in church, playing church, they're just like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, well, you know. Dude, a perspective bigger than the game. Preach it, brother. Yeah, get it out. Preacher bigger, a perspective bigger than the game. Okay, well, I've heard better. Like, bro, all I'm trying to say is I can tell from up here whether or not you came in inspired or were dragging the train up the hill. And I'm just trying to get you to where God has planned for you and where God has prepared for you. And if you don't recognize his authority in your life, there's going to be a foreboding sense that when you go to church, it's not comfortable. And you're going to be squirming. You're going to be like thinking like, oh, I got to go set my fantasy line up. I got to go check the game. I got to go get some food in me. Anyway, I'm just hoping that before this day is done, we might change your perspective. It says in verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Now this is before the hugs, okay? Remember, not linear order. This is before the hugs, before the kisses, okay? Um, Imagine when he's like, hey, yeah, come on in here. Yeah, remember that little thing we did 22 years ago? Just come over, just, just come on over here. Come on in close, you know? I'm sure it was like one of those, I don't know if your kid's ever been in trouble, and it's like you're like, come over here, and they're like, you know, inching. Has anybody ever seen this? <laughs> they're unsure what's getting ready to happen. <laughs> Imagine Joseph liked that just a little bit. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. So clearly, clearly he hasn't forgotten. And now, do not be distressed. Now this one, this is where it blows my mind. Because I have not arrived at the Joseph level yet. I would like to one day. He's like, do not be distressed. Because clearly, they were distressed. Up there in verse uh, 3, they were terrified. Okay? Do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. What person in the history of humanity has ever said that? Just imagine... Like for thousands of years, there were slaves, okay? Imagine that there was one that ever was like, do not be upset with yourself for selling me. Like, none. That's zero. Like, this attitude is so far above the rim. It's like he has a perspective that is bigger than the game. Oh, man, I just, oh. He says, do not, do not be upset with yourself. He's literally consoling the people who committed the crime. Do you get that? Like, what kind of grace does Joseph possess that he's able to do this? He says, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then... 
It was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, next point. The God perspective unlocks every emotional prison. I want to ask you to consider the difference between a physical prison and an emotional prison. When Joseph was sold, he was falsely accused and convicted of rape, thrown into a prison. And I imagine through all of that process, he experienced a lot of physical pain. Sitting behind those bars all those years, going through all that process that we know adds up to 13 years at least of suffering and being forgotten. And then I want you to compare that physical pain to the emotional pain. Which one would you rather have? A hundred lashes or the person closest to you betray you and break your heart into a thousand pieces? I can tell you that the emotional pain is much worse than the physical pain. The scars that are on the inside right? If you could see the scars on the hearts in this room, it would blow your mind. Literally, you'd be weeping for the person five seats over if you knew all that they had gone through just to get to this moment. And if ever there was a person who deserved to sit down inside of the prison of emotional pain, it had to be Joseph, right? Like, who would fault him? If you met up with Joseph, and it's like bizarro Joseph, okay? And you're like having this conversation with Joseph, and he's like, yeah. Like, he's now like, you know, on top. He's, you know, Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's like, yeah. I mean, uh, where'd you come from? Where'd you, you know, you don't look like you're, you know, Egyptian, you know? Well, no, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Um, I was from, you know, over there in Israel. And um, my dad got me this coat, and then uh, my brothers got jealous, and so they uh, threw me in a well, and then they were talking about killing me while they were eating their sandwich, and uh, then they decided that, uh, no, there wasn't any profit in that, so they were going to sell me instead, and so they did, and, um, and you know what, I just, I, just, I just hate them, and I just hope that they get what was coming to them, and I'm just praying to God above that he would send down his righteous fire upon them. There's no one in this room that would be like, yeah, man, like, wrong. Like, you'd be like, yeah, I get it, right? You'd be like, wow, I can't believe your brothers did that to you. I agree, like, yes, send the fire on them. They should get, what's, they, should get what they deserve. That's the way, that's just the way that our human mind thinks. We don't think like, how to have a reckoning, we think there has to be retribution. But here in the Bible, there can be reckoning um, with someone else stepping forward and going before us. And we are, that's, a, that's a gospel metaphor. But the God perspective unlocks every emotional prison. Instead of sitting down inside of that pain, he chose to rise above it, right? And he, he's able to understand that God is working in the midst of, of everything that was going on. So Potiphar put him in prison, but the brothers put him in the pain prison, the emotional pain prison, and now all of a sudden 
we see that his perspective, we, it's revealed in these verses. He was like, you, you didn't do this to me. You didn't send me here. It was God that sent me here. In other words, he was saying, you have no power over me. And like, what if there was someone sitting in this audience? Oh, this, oh, whew, first service. I think this is where we, the road diverged. What if someone was sitting in this audience and because of something that was said to them or done to them, maybe something that was withheld from them, what if they've been looking at their life through a lens, like, all, like what if they never escaped that? What if the lack of love or the abuse or whatever, whatever it was, what if this person in their past or this habit that has haunted them, what if that is something that they've been unable to escape all their lives? What if someone was sitting in an invisible, emotional prison, believing that they did not have the power to escape? What if you were sitting in here today and I told you that there is a God that is greater than the prison that people try to put us in? What if I told you that Joseph realized that there was a perspective that was bigger than the game that was being played? And, and he said, you did not send me here but God. Now, let's rewind the tape, okay? Because we got to rewind it and we got to ask ourselves, like, how? Now, wait a minute. But his, wait, his brothers did sin in there, right? Am I, am I wrong on that? Like, so how is he saying that you didn't send me here if you did? Like, okay, so now we got to grab some big concept of theology. How does providence work with human will? Now, this is like a, a thousands of year old debate, okay? So how does God's will wrestle with human will, right? Because God has set a boundary that he doesn't supersede your will. He doesn't, he doesn't force you into doing anything. But this is how we know that it's incredible, like that God is amazing because he's able to take the brothers that sold him Potiphar's wife, Jezebel, can we just say that? Can we just say what? She was trying to cheat on her husband, and he said no. He, matter of fact, he ran. You remember when we talked about that? If you ever find yourself in a temptation situation, what do you do? Do you walk? No. What do you do? Run. Let's say it again for the people in the back. Run. When you get the text in the middle of the night, run. When you get the DM, when you get the snap, Do you still have it on your phone after this series? Do you still have it? Oh, did you get your streak in this week? Dude, delete the app. Oh, but that's the only way I can connect with my friends. No, delete it. Delete it. Delete it. Delete. Sorry, I have to preach to them. They need it. People are sitting here in this emotional prison. Imagine 
that this thing had power over them and that they had never been able to escape it all of their lives. And yet, you could come to a realization. What if you could come to a realization that through all of the twists and the turns, where it appeared people had power over you, people mistreated you, People lied about you. People betrayed you. People hurt you. People didn't show up for you. What if, what if I told you that there was a God who was able to take all the wrongs and still get you to the exact right place at the exact right time? What if I told you that? What if I told you? It doesn't matter what they do to you that God still has a plan and they have no power over you. Someone needed to hear that today. They have no power over you. It has no power over you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Jesus himself was standing before Pontius Pilate. I don't know if y'all remember this interaction. Pilate was the Roman governor, and he alone had the power to spare Jesus. The Jewish people were subjugated as a vassal state of Rome. Therefore, they could not execute Jesus without a Roman command. And Pilate's wife comes to him and says, I had a dream about this dude named Jesus and you don't need to have anything to do with him. Pilate, being a somewhat stereotypical man, ignored his wife's counsel. And all the ladies said, yeah, sometimes we don't listen very good. If he would have only listened, if he would have only listened, I've learned that my wife sometimes has intuition. Now, imagine from Pilate's perspective, if he was driven by pure logic, and your wife's like, I had a dream like, about a guy named Jesus. Like, yeah, that sounds a little bit crazy. A little bit. But I've learned sometimes when my wife says to me, hey, you need to... What, what, it's like, well, she obviously knows something that I don't know. And over 27 years, I've learned, trust it. Hey, guys, sometimes it doesn't have to make sense. Honor, honor your wife's advice, especially when it comes to other women. Sometimes they see things that you don't see. You're like a big dumb ox heading toward the slaughter. That's in the Bible. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, if you will just, just tell me, just tell me you're innocent, just tell me, you're, if you'll just tell me, then I'll let you go, because I clearly see that you have done nothing wrong. Oh, I just need you to say it. And Jesus looks at this man. Now think about this. This is a Jewish person, and not just any Jewish person, he's just a carpenter's son from Galilee, raised up in Nazareth, which was considered the wrong side of the tracks. 
And now this subjugant looks at him and says to him, you have no authority over me unless my father has given it to you. Now, like, I don't know how that hits you, but just understand this. Jesus to Pilate was in the inferior position. But because Jesus was where God wanted him to be, he was in the superior position. Even though he was getting ready to be executed because God was on his side and he was where God wanted him to be, it didn't matter what the authority above him tried to say. The authority above him already had a plan and that authority was over this authority. So it doesn't matter what they say because they don't have any power over us. Imagine if you lived your life like a true Jesus follower, that it didn't matter which side you were on, whether you were above or below, if you were where God wanted you to be, you could know that even if I was in prison, even if I was, you know, the lowest man on the totem pole, that they have no power over me, that God is going to get me to where he dreamed me to be. Wouldn't that be incredible to walk around? Last point, let the dream direct you. He said, God sent me ahead. And that just, ooh, that just resonated with my heart. As the planter, as the planting pastor of Genesis Metro Church 20 years ago, I resonated with this. When we preached it at camp, I was like, hmm. I mean, we, we only had four nights. And we've, we've had 10 weeks. Some people are asking, like, how much longer are we going to do Joseph? As long as it takes. I intended to be this, the last sermon series in this building, and so um, we'll just make it work. <laughs> Let the dream direct you. God, send me ahead, he said. He said, God sent me ahead to save lives, and then he said, in verse 7, if you'll put it back up on the screen, God sent me ahead to save your lives. Did you hear that change? Verse 5, God sent me ahead to save lives. Verse 7, God sent me ahead to save your life. While you were trying to sell me, I was trying to save you. Man, don't forget grace. Just don't forget grace. Jesus, hanging from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At Genesis Metro, we're going to preach the truth. But imagine that I preached the truth to you, that you were a sinner, that you have made terrible mistakes, that you've done this, you've done that. And what if I just pounded you in the ground, which would be truth, but I had no grace. You see, Joseph had both. Jesus had both. The truth is we're all sinners and we've come short of the glory of God. But the truth is also that God has grace that is greater than our sin. And so many churches want to stand on truth and they really mean that they're bullies. And they stand up and they just preach to people how wicked they are. But the truth is that's all of us. 
And so we have to measure out that truth and counterbalance it with mercy. And the Bible says that in Christ, it was justice and mercy have kissed. What a beautiful picture of what God is trying to do. He's going to hold you accountable. True. You're going to be accountable for your sins. But the great thing is, is that he sent Jesus to step in. To take our place. To pay a price that we couldn't pay. And now Jesus advocates on our behalf. And he says, I know, I know what they did. I saw him miss the catch. But he puts his arms around us. You see where it's going. He says, I love you. Because he knows at some juncture later in the game, he's going to need you to make a play. And if he throws you away, casts you off like the prodigal son, and doesn't let you come back home, and man, how many opportunities are going to be missed because we forgot grace? I want to say to you today with all of my heart that God has sent me ahead. Whenever I was going through this week, we went back in time and we're filming a sermon series that's going to explain the history of Tim Bourne slash Genesis Metro. And I was able to go back and visit some old places, and it was remarkable the symmetry that the three men that I interviewed were three of the deacons of the churches that I was at, and, and they said, you know, Tim, if I would have gone through half of what you'd gone through, I would have quit. I wouldn't do it. It's not worth it. And the thought never occurred to me to quit. Yesterday, we did a funeral. And I'm going to tell you, whenever you're doing certain funerals, it's... however, my wife's sitting right there, there was a, a widow of 53 years of marriage. 53 years. You know how inadequate you feel that you have nine to ten minutes to comfort someone who has lost someone that they spent 53 years with? And I thought, as I was preparing the sermon, what if I would have said no? What if I would have said no to God's will for my life? To risk everything. I was talking with a gentleman out in the foyer right after the funeral. He was like, so where'd you come from? I was like, oh, I'm from Tulsa. Okay, well. He's like, but, but how'd you get here? And I was like, well, that's a, that's a long story. But uh, the short answer is that, that God wanted me in Frisco, Texas. He's like, but yeah, but when you got here, how did you get, like, were you not with? I was like, no, we weren't. We just, we're just a non-denominational church. And he's like, well, but then how did, you, how did you get people to come? I was like, well, we invited people to our house. <laughs> And uh, we started Bible studies in our homes. And you, I could tell the machine was going 
because the guy had a Catholic background, and he's like, you know, Catholic, add water, mix, other Catholics, right? And like, and I, I was like, no, bro, it's like uh, we, we just did it one family at a time, and now we're sitting in what's happened 20 years later, and I thought, man, what a great sermon illustration that I couldn't be here for the widow if I'd have said no all those years ago, but God sent me ahead so that I could comfort those that are hurting. God sent me ahead so that you could have a seat on a Sunday morning 20 years after the fact. God sent me ahead so that we could build a team that would save thousands of lives all over the world. God sent me ahead so that I could do that. So it doesn't matter what has happened over 30 years of ministry that I've seen all the craziness that you could possibly imagine, all the betrayal, all the lies, all the whatever, because ministry's just dirty. That's what it is, because you're dealing with sinners, right? That's just what it is. But the Savior is worth it. The saving is worth it. God sent us all ahead. Trust me, if you would say yes to the God dream in your life this morning, he's trying to send you ahead because there's someone else who needs to be saved. And if you aren't where you're supposed to be at the right time, in the right place, so that he can put you in the right palace, man, your family's going to miss out. Your wife's going to miss out. Your children are going to miss out because you didn't hold on to the dream. And I'm going to tell you, in the middle, none of it's going to make any sense. If you look at Joseph's life in the middle, how in the world would you have said, oh, I see how this is going to work out? Like when you got married, do you remember? you remember hold hands? Does anybody remember that? Do you remember holding hands? You're like, for better or worse. <laughs> Till death do us part. You may kiss your bride. That's all they remember. Boy, that beginning was great. Right? Like Joseph had that coat on. Remember he was strutting around? <laughs> Man, that was great. Here comes that dreamer. But in the middle, boy, I look bad. Some of you, you're not to 53 years yet. And in the middle, it might get a little rough. Same thing with parenting. Do you remember when you held that little baby? Does anybody remember that? You like held that little baby. I was like, look at Luke. And the most ugly babies in the world, parents. <laughs> parents are like, look at him, look at him, look at him. And we all lie. That's a pretty baby. That's a pretty baby. It all starts off great. In the middle, we'll call it middle school, high school. It turns into a nightmare, all right? In the middle, you're never meant to live in the middle. You're supposed to endure the middle because you believe the end is worth it. I was looking at a widow that had 53 years with the same man that made that commitment and found that love and said that it was worth it. And I thought to myself, what if society could just learn what commitment means? That we would commit our lives, not only in marriage, not only in parenting, 
But we would commit our lives to following after Jesus, serving in his local New Testament church, so that we could do the same thing and save many lives. It worked for you. Right? You're sitting here. It worked for you. So why are you going to withhold? Why are you going to sit back and say you're too busy, you're too broken, whatever other excuse you want to make? You look at the life of Joseph. You look at that life. And you tell me, if he lived like you, would he have made it to the end? If he lived like you, would all those people have been saved at the end? And then if you think all those saved people were worth it, you got to ask yourself, are you dreaming? Are you inside the God dream, doing the God thing? And if not, let's decide today. Those other things, they have no power over you. Your past has no power over you. No person has any power over you. Then you're going to be left looking in the mirror, and the only person that's holding you back is what? It's you. So if we can get rid of you today and put Jesus back on the throne, then we'll get there. You ready, church? Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that you would move inside the people today. Set people free, God. I pray that the emotional prison walls would fall today, God. That someone might look into their hearts and say, Oh, I see it now. That they might feel the love of the Father embrace them and say, I know you made the mistake. I know you missed. But I love you. And I need you in the game. I need you to quit moping. I need you to quit thinking about all the past mistakes. And I need you to play this play right now. For your family. For the kingdom. I need you to be in the game right now. I hope your perspective this morning would expand. And I hope you'd see that life is bigger than the trivial plays. It's bigger than the past. It's bigger than the pain. It's about the next person that walks into your life. It's about the people that you say you love the most. And if you love them the most, then they deserve your best. And your best is only your best if Jesus is the king of your heart. We're going to give you that opportunity during this song to make that choice. Would you stand and worship with us?